Hello and welcome to White Swarm, the podcast that gives you the inside story on how leaders tackle crises. I'm Gavin McGaw, and on this podcast, we aim to furnish you with the learnings behind the headlines so that when the proverbial hits the fan, you can keep things turning. On this episode of White Swan, we're going to be joined by Joanne Poirier, the president and CEO of VON, a care provider in Canada. During our chat, we discussed the crisis she has faced, including COVID, shootings and cyber attacks, and how she's changed her organization to ensure it is much more resilient to such challenges and risks. But before we hear that, I'm joined by Karen White of National in Canada and Gary Cleland of Hanover in the UK. Welcome, Karen and Gary. Hey, Gav. Hi, Gav. Now, Karen, you were in Canada and know VON and Joanne well. I didn't, I have to admit, before the interview, but I was hugely impressed by her approach to proactive stakeholder management in a crisis in what is an incredibly complex car industry. And she seemed to really understand her business and the importance of good internal communications when it matters most in a crisis. Given what she's faced since taking the role, is this something she's known for in Canada? Yeah, you know, Gav, I've been really fortunate to have a front row seat for a number of the complex issues that VON has faced here in Canada. And I can honestly say Joanne is truly grace under fire. She exemplifies the attributes of a great leader in a crisis. She leads with empathy, makes decisions based on feedback from her strong leadership team. And she really puts her people and those they serve at the heart of all of her decision making. So here in Canada, VON has a pretty complex operating environment. They provide home care services in more than one province. So that means their employees are geographically dispersed. And so internal communications has been so critical to healthcare organizations that have been navigating the pandemic, and they have a really strong focus on internal comms. I think one of the favorite things that Joanne did during the pandemic was setting up a weekly video update. And so she always provided relevant, timely information that reflected how people were feeling and what they were thinking and finding those ways to sincerely acknowledge employee contributions. You know, it was really nice touch and so well received by the team. So yeah, I think Joanne is known and respected for her strong and empathetic leadership and communications approach. That's good to hear, Karen. And Gary, I mean, you banged on in this podcast a lot about the high internal communications often a forgotten priority in a crisis. From your perspective of listening, Joanne, what are the lessons that you feel that others can take away? Well, I think what struck me most was Joanne's commitment to transparency with her workforce. As we'll hear in a second, she had to make some difficult decisions at various points over her career. But she communicated these decisions and put them into context and ensured that she was empathetic and honest with her employees. And I think this is a lesson that we've seen smart leaders learn uh, in recent years. Historically, I think there's been an assumption that the top of the organization must act like everything is fine uh, at all times. And particularly over COVID, we've seen a move to more empathetic and open leadership communications. This is effective. Uh, we talk a lot um, about reputation gaps, meaning the, the potential disconnect between what you say you do and how your audiences perceive your actions. And the internal audience is one of the most important, as you correctly say, I've been banging on about for, for weeks. But this transparency approach and empathetic approach narrows that gap 
Uh, and not only is it effective in terms of communicating what you're trying to say, it also importantly minimizes the chances of a reputational risk originating in your workforce. Well, thanks for that, Gary. Um, let's hear what Joanne had to say. Each episode of White Swan features an in-depth conversation with a senior figure from the world of business. So we get to learn about their crisis experiences and the lessons you need to hear. Our guest today is a super impressive Joanne Poirier. Joanne has been president and CEO of VON, a huge care provider in Canada for seven years now. VON have 12,000 staff and volunteers over 120 locations in the country. Prior to VON, Joanne spent six years as CEO at Ottawa Community Housing Corporation and five years as the CEO of a charitable organisation called United Way East Ontario. Before that, she was Vice President of Resource Development at the Finance Business, MBNA, and a City Manager at the City of Gloucester in Ottawa. Joanne also holds a number of board positions in addition to her role at VON and has won several amazing awards for her work including the 2012 Ottawa Distinguished Women Lifetime Achievement Award and the 2012 Queen Elizabeth II Diamond Jubilee Medal. Joanne, thank you so much for joining me on White Swan. Thank you so much for having me. Happy to be here. So tell us about your career journey, Joanne. How did you get to where you are now? I would say that um, I worked in the private sector, public sector, and the not-for-profit sector. And uh, really, I followed my heart and my head in the sense that, uh, you know, I always sought challenging roles. And um, while I enjoyed the private sector, I think I'm really where I'm intended to be, which is to work for a mission-driven organization like VON, which our motto is live life to the fullest, it's home and community care, while bringing a business discipline to the work that we do so that we can be a stronger organization and ultimately help more people. That's really what drives me. So tell me about VON. Not a lot of people uh, outside of Canada will know the organization. Tell us about its history and its scale. Sure. It was founded in 1897 by the Governor General's wife at the time, and there was a recognition that public health was so important, and yet people were at home not receiving home care. So we created an organization to have uh, nurses um, come into the home to provide that much-needed service. And as an organization, we've been through both world wars, the Spanish flu, all kinds of other things. And it's really an organization that's transformed itself over the decades. So for example, we had founded community hospitals in the past, then would turn them back to the community and work on something else like a clinic. Uh, So we have been innovative uh, while having a long distinguished history of providing great care in the country. So uh, and in your career, before you joined VON, were crises a major part of what you did in any of the roles that you have had? Well, I think that um, every organization has its crisis, um, but, you know, certainly as you uh, strive to lead larger organizations, larger, more complex organizations, and certainly healthcare is such an important part, uh, there's no question that the cumulative uh, experience I've acquired in crisis management, you know, continues to to serve us okay uh, in the work that we do while continuously learning, because I feel it's really important to be a lifelong learner. Yes. And look, you talked earlier about the challenges that you face in, in, in a business career. Um, and 
VON is trying to help people with personal crises, I guess. Uh, but since you've joined, the organization has had to really progress its approach to crises because you've faced a unbelievable number of them, not necessarily at your fault, just of things that are happening in the environments that you're in. Um, do you want to talk me through the approach that you had to take when you joined VON to try and get it crisis ready? Sure. Uh, certainly when I joined the organization, we realized that sustainability was at risk because we are a not-for-profit and we're a charitable entity. And so in terms of preparing to deal with the crisis, I think you have to really acknowledge what is it we're trying to accomplish? What is it we're trying to save, so to speak? And then I think my um, favorite motto in dealing with the crisis is to stay calm, stay calm and steady and recognize that each and every day that you um, come into work, people are looking at you to set the tone. And so it's almost like having holding up a mirror to yourself where you say, what am I projecting? I want to be projecting calm and optimism. We will get through this. I think I said that, I've said that every day for a long period of time. We will get through this by working together and remaining calm and clear thinking. Are you someone who's always been calm? Is that part of your personality? Uh, it certainly is projecting calm. I must say there are times where I don't feel calm, but I think it's a little bit like that duck uh, swimming on the surface where, you know, you might want to project calm uh, so that people can uh, be clear thinking and the legs are moving beneath the surface. You know, I call it my uh, Joanne Stoic <laughs> front. And, uh, you know, at times uh, you have to find ways to calm yourself so that you can then calm others, I would say. I think that's a very good rule. When you first arrived at VON, what were the things that you spotted early on that you needed to change when it came to making the organization more sustainable to deal with crises and be more resilient? Mm -hmm. I think uh, building a strong management team, I think, is really important. And uh, I think having a look at our financial picture and what needed to change. So one of the things that I did was to take the organization through a financial restructuring, which basically meant closing our business in certain geographical areas in order to save our mainstay business in two of the key provinces. And that was very difficult because we knew that some people people would lose their jobs. Um, but knowing that we had to save the organization and that we had all clients that we wanted to serve and keep serving for many decades, uh, those things became necessary to do. That's quite hard, isn't it, as a leader, coming into an organization new and you want to put your stamp on things. But the first thing you need to do to get it fit for purpose is to sadly shed jobs and to make tough decisions. I mean, I take it, People didn't respond brilliantly to that. Well, those that lost their jobs certainly um, regretted that. And, uh, you know, we had a situation where it became evident that um, in order to save the organization, make sure it was sustainable, we had to make those decisions. And I think what drives you then is making sure that you're doing the right thing for the organization and the staff that are there in order to save those jobs and, and save those services in the communities in which we provide uh, client services. So did you have a approach you took when you were communicating to the staff why you were doing this? Was it some around fairness? What was what was the approach that you took? The approach was very much about, um, you know, 
showing empathy for those who were losing their jaws because this is we are in the people business and I think that's really important and the gloss over that would have seemed insensitive and inappropriate so showing regret for that and showing regret for the tough decisions we do have to make but knowing at the end of the day that this is what's best for the organization and for client care moving forward so I think it's being human enough to show that you have compassion and that you will deal with people as fairly and compassionately as possible. I think that's really what's most important. That's a really good playbook for these situations because I know from my work uh, in doing similar announcements, if you show empathy and you show fairness, people come with you because those are core values for people. Uh, but also you're not going to make the process of the change a negative story, which a lot of people do by uh, making these announcements in the wrong way. So that that's a good rule. And I mean, how did you personally deal with that situation when you walked in to an organization and you had to make those tough decisions? I mean, we've looked at what other people maybe thought, but how did you feel about that? Was that challenging to you as a person? It certainly was challenging. And I think um, one of the things that I do to um, manage stress uh, is to exercise. So it's a little bit of my meditation time. Every single morning, seven days a week, I exercise. And it's it's a little, it's an hour of me time. I get up with the birds in order to be able to have that at uh, that time. And I think that really helps to calm you, organize your thoughts for the day, and keep physically fit. Uh, because I think fitness uh, feeds into mental fitness. And I think mental health is extremely important. So to get rid of that stress, um, by exercising and and having those other parts of your life that help nourish your soul in order to come in every day and and you know deal with the tough situation that you're dealing with. I couldn't agree more. People who are using their body for energy um, in the day that they're having to announce things often perform way better than those who aren't because uh, it focuses their mind as well as their body and the fight or flight symptoms don't come into play, which is a real danger to any leader right there. Now, you faced a lot of issues at VON, mostly because of just the world environment and the challenges that we're all facing and the rapid change that we're seeing. Uh, we saw a ransomware attack, didn't we, in 2018 on the organization? And we're seeing more and more of these cyber uh, attacks um, these days. Talk us through what happened with that and how bad it was. Sure. And and that was a, a real challenge. Um, so we received a cyber uh, attack and a ransomware attack. And the good news is that no personal information, personal health information was disclosed. And we ended up not paying the ransom, but we had to make sure that um, we advised our funder, the government. And what made it very challenging is that um, understandably from their perspective, until such time as we could prove that we could have our electronic and our IT infrastructure be solid, um, they um, discontinued our connection to them, which meant that I had to have uh, 6,500 staff providing services uh, manually. So it was like stepping back in time, which became very taxing. Uh, we worked with the government very closely. We hired staff to be able to strengthen our infrastructure as well as dealing with experts in the business. Uh, and sadly, it is an emerging marketplace, as you know. Um, and really, uh, this took over a year, and we are continuing to solidify our foundation. So it's it's something that um, is one of today's modern phenomena that 
you can't um, ever lose sight of. And as a not-for-profit organization, we don't have deep pockets. So it's really making the best use of the resources that you have in order to protect the organization. And being in healthcare, of course, personal health information, PHI they call it, is an area of vulnerability for cyber attacks because of its, its nature. Yeah, so whatever sector you're in, it's a number one uh, on every risk matrix, uh, cybersecurity. And it's, I mean, the more I read about it, uh, Joanne, the more I just think it's, we we can't be infallible in this. We, we know what's going to happen. It's not a if, it's a when it's going to happen. And it's just me taking the right steps and being ready. Were you ready for that? There was a crisis. Is it something you'd prepared for? Or was it something you were having to react to as it happened? Yeah, a little bit of both. We thought we were ready in the sense that we thought we had the right protections in mind, but we didn't. And when this took place, it helped explore or explore and um, uh, really bring to the forefront where the areas of vulnerability were. So it was a lesson well learned and hard learned, if you will. And um, what we have done since is to really solidify our safety and uh, infrastructure, our security posture. Uh, and we've learned a lot from the experts that we worked with throughout that process. So it is something that uh, you continue to be vulnerable to, but I think we're in a much better position now than we were at that time. And lots of lessons learned. Do you think that your reputation was damaged by the attacks? Or do you think people just said, it's what happens these days, as long as they're dealing with them in the right way, it's fine. Obviously, there was the the governmental, uh, so the public sector links, which you you had to try and deal with as a operational problem, but reputationally, was it a problem? Um, I think it could have been, but I think we handled it very, very um, seriously and responsibly. And in fact, we got kudos from our government funder. Others had suffered the same cyber or security attacks. And in comparison, we compared very favorably in terms of how professionally we dealt with the issue. So at the end of the day, while it did expose that our infrastructure needed to be modernized, how we dealt with it from a professional perspective and a relationship management perspective, I think ended up serving us very well. And how did you set up during the crises? Did you have a crises team? Did you go that far to create a, a specialist team to uh, push actions on a day-to-day basis operationally? Or, or just talk us through what you did. Sure. So we have an emergency management approach to things where we have a command table that I chair, and then we have different uh, committees that feed into that. So at the very beginning, we were meeting several times a day and also uh, daily with the funder. And then as um, things got worked through, that became once a day and then twice a week. And then, you know, the um, the frequency over time does um, diminish, but uh, all with the focus on how to solve the problem. So it's really, really important to have that uh, organized infrastructure so that you can just call it, whether it's a code silver, code bronze, whatever it is, and move into um, solution mode and keeping those information channels very uh, much open. And being such a large dispersed organization, it's even more important. Did you get any criticism for not paying the uh, ransomware uh, uh, sort of claim no and in fact our insurer um 
encouraged us not to. And as it turns out, because we had some backup systems and because there was actually no personal information that was disclosed, uh, we were fortunate in that uh, we didn't. So it's not that there was information that was disclosed that was the issue. The issue was what it highlighted about our infrastructure in need of modernization, frankly. Yes. Okay. Well, look, uh, we've all we've seen modernization uh, when it comes to crises uh, approaches come to the fore in the last couple of years with COVID. It's hit a lot of organisations, and you know we saw an operational crisis to begin with, followed by a financial crisis, and we're now in a reputational crisis in terms of the response to COVID. Um, how did you cope with that? Because obviously, being a care provider, it must be incredibly difficult. It is very challenging, and uh, we, of course, went into uh, command team mode and continued to do that. We have a, a clinical response team and a business response team that feed into the command table, and we make decisions at that point, uh, allowing for the staff with the expertise to noodle through issues and really come up with some recommendations. And um, But I'll say being in healthcare is very challenging right now because COVID, um, you know, know, in exposed, I think, in Canada, the fact that um, there are some uh, broken elements of the healthcare system and that home care needs to be a much bigger part of the solution. So when we look at the infection rate, for example, home care um, is, had the lowest infection rate, lower than hospitals or long-term care facilities. And yet, we lost a lot of staff. So I would say there's a health human resource crisis underway right now in Canada and certainly in the areas in which we operate. And I think the fatigue factor and people being feeling burnt out, um, I think, is really um, at the forefront. The other challenge we have, and certainly we're advocating with the government in uh, one of our largest provinces of Ontario, is that there is a wage disparity for personal support workers and uh, registered nurses in home care, they get paid less than in a hospital setting or long-term care. So that makes it additionally challenging to recruit and retain staff. And that's been part of our challenge. Yeah, that's really interesting because we're seeing that type of situation not just happen in Canada, happen across the globe. And I think particularly wage pressures are becoming much, much worse everywhere uh, and having a major impact on operational logistics and supply chains and other areas uh, as well. Um, so, Talk us through your approach to this crisis. How, how, I mean, we knew this was sort of something that could be coming our way um, from January, really, uh, of, of 2020. Um, the UK and Europe, we sort of saw it from March onwards. And then just after that, Canada, US, uh, and sort of the wave came across in that way. Um, when did you first realize that this was going to be something that wasn't going to be in and out in a couple of weeks or a couple of months. This was going to be something that was here for the longer term. And how did you adapt your crises approach when you realized it was going to be around for a while? So for us, it really hit, I would say, we started to see hint of it in February 2020. And then in March, we had to have a lockdown and send people home to work from home. And that's when we we had set up the command table and the clinical response team. And uh, we were having daily huddles, sometimes twice a day. And um, also looking at how we could have people who didn't need to be frontline workers in people's homes uh, working from the um, from their homes. And so there was all of that that we needed to get organized. 
and having uh, constant uh, contact with the different teams and the command teams in order to make the right decisions, as well as working with our funders to make sure we were fulfilling what was expected of us. So I think it's been, uh, you know, as we call it, it's been a long marathon. It's not a race. It has been a long winding road. And frankly, I think a lot of us have said, if we had known then that this 18 months later would still be ongoing, well, all of that to say, I'm, I'm sure it's a good thing that we didn't know. But, um, you know, in the midst of that, we were hit uh, with a uh, a tragedy at uh, VON in Nova Scotia, where um, someone went on a shooting rampage and killed 22 people, and two of them, sadly, were our staff. So we had to deal with all of that in the midst of a pandemic, and that was really very sad and very challenging, because I would normally have jumped on a plane and gone to comfort staff, but of course I couldn't because of the pandemic. So what we did was to set up regular video messages from myself to staff because we are very dispersed and we've continued with those messages and it's really about providing uh, crucial information to our workers and also words of encouragement and appreciation so that they realize that we do consider them to be heroes and I think that's been a really important element uh, throughout the the pandemic. That's a lovely thought. You know, they're they're heroes doing a great job in difficult times. But goodness me, you and your top team, that must have been so difficult for you and the whole staff to deal with this mass shooting taking place in the middle of a pandemic as it is. Um, how, How did you deal with that operationally? Because a lot of businesses I've worked with, they had their business as usual teams and then they had their COVID crises teams who were feeding into the business as usual teams. Um, And then you have another crisis on top. How did you deal with that? Did you set up another team or did the COVID crisis team just start dealing with that? The COVID team dealt with that, but we also created a small group uh, for the site uh, that was impacted by those two tragedies. Um, and, um, you know, we we made sure that we honoured um, the contributions that those employees made. And that was really important for our staff to know and to actually be part of it. So as an example, one Sunday we had 300 cars do a car rally in honor of their fallen um, colleagues and with the families at the side of the road waving and I get goosebumps when I remember that but you know and that went on YouTube so that people would know we were honoring uh, those that had been impacted and I think also offering employee assistance to those employees who were really grieving and then we had to do because of such a, an unfortunate element and it happened during work day, we had to do an incident review of all of this to say, okay, what are the lessons learned? How can we best support our staff? What if something happens like this again? Because what's really unique about home and community care is that you can have someone at large, um, you know, in a shooting rampage and our staff are out there driving to various homes in order to provide care. So how do we connect with the authorities and know where where and how to keep people safe. Those are all things that we've had to figure out. Joanne, when I look at your career and the things that you've done, it seems to me that your superpower is your passion and focus on good communications with your staff teams in whatever organization you're working within. And it seems to be a VON given the scale and the type of people you have working remotely in a lot of cases. That makes you such a good leader for that organization because you are identifying 
where you need to be communicating and how you need to be communicating very quickly. Do you see that as one of your strengths? Well, I, I would like to hope so. I mean, I'm very much a people person, and I think that it's you have to rule with your heart and your head, not just your head. And particularly, I would say that the people who choose to work in our field, for them, it's a vocation, not just a job. And I have been absolutely inspired by their resilience and their caring, because during um, so, so much of this, they've been pivoting to how can we provide care, for example, uh, to seniors that are isolated at home, how can we do things virtually? And you know, their their passion inspires my passion, frankly. And what I regret during all of this is that normally every few months I would go on a few client visits because that nourishes my soul. And I see the gratitude that people have when someone comes into their private space, their home, in order to provide that care. So I've sought that uh, nourishment, if you will, in different ways. Whether it's having more town hall meetings with staff or, um, you know, recruiting um, family advisors that tell us how important it's been for them to serve to, you know, receive those services. So that to me keeps me going. And if it keeps me going, then I, I'm sure it keeps others going. So I then try to transmit that emotive feedback to our staff. So as an example, when those two women lost their lives, we received a letter from two sisters um, speaking about them, describing them and what great care they took of their mom. And I read that in one of my video messages I wasn't sure I was going to be able to make it through, frankly, because it was such an emotional and beautiful letter. But that was important, impart that to the staff so they know the difference that they make each and every day. That's lovely. And, um, you know, COVID, one of the things about it has been how do we keep top teams sustainable? Because people like yourself are having to deal with everything which is coming at them. But as you said, it's 18 months and it's not like we've had the opportunities to go on holiday and things like that. So how have you kept you and your top team fresh during this crisis? How have you ensured you've shaken it up and had some sort of succession opportunities for others to come into play? Mm-hmm. Well, I think, you know, we, we now know the phenomena very well of staycations instead of vacations. And people aren't having the opportunity to have that mental break and a change of scenery. And we have to be sensitive to that. So I will say once in a while, humor is really important. Keeping it light, uh, talking about a client story, which really reminds us of why we do what we do. And also cutting each other some slack. So if someone says they're feeling overwhelmed and they can't meet a deadline, then let's negotiate that deadline. And we've done that. And I've done that even with my board of directors, you know, in terms of realizing what our day-to-day living is like, and we've had so much more to have to manage. So at times that means, you know, giving ourselves permission to take longer to get something done and really having a new approach to identifying where the priorities lie, I think has helped. Now you faced a huge number of challenges and you speak so elegantly about your approach. If you had to give three top tips to people listening to this today, when they hear that there's a issue coming their way, what's your advice as a top leader in this space? I would say the self-care is really important. Uh, Take care. It's the old analogy of you're on a plane and you need to have the oxygen mask before you can help others. So self-care is really important. Staying calm and remembering what's important. I think those are the things that I would say would uh, would certainly be worthwhile advice to provide. 
That's great advice, Joanne. Joanne, what's next for you? Well, I think I want to see the organization through this. We're very excited. We're on a digital health strategy journey. We're fundraising for uh, providing digital uh, technology to our frontline workers. So the next two to three years will be focused on that and really just repairing um, some of what may have been bruised throughout the process and also continuing to advocate for wage parity for our workers so that we can hire and retain uh, really good staff. It's about sustainability. That's a theme, I think, going forward. Well, that's fantastic stuff, Joanne, and a great point to end on. Thank you so much for talking us through how you've put good crisis preparation front and centre to your approach at VON. Uh, I really do appreciate your time. Thank you so much for having me. Really have enjoyed our chat. As you heard there, Joanne really knows her stuff and what she's dealt with at VON has not been easy, but she has a well-oiled approach to crises that clearly works. And to talk things through, I'm joined again by Karen White of National in Canada and Gary Cleland of Hanover in the UK. So Karen and Gary, Joanne and I chatted about managing people in a crisis and the strains management is under in those circumstances. We all know that COVID has been one long sustained crisis for many organizations across the globe. And we've talked about it on this podcast before. It's taking lots out of leaders and their direct reports who have been working all hours as they seek to rewire their businesses on the move and simply having the time to recover both mentally and physically. To me, it's starting to feel that top businesses are living in a perpetual crisis with logistics and supply chains issues, climate change hitting production, added cross-border bureaucracy, and of course, Brexit here in Europe. Joanne's advice was simple and clear. She said, we need to give people a break when things get tough or don't go to plan. And I like the simplicity of that. And I know you referenced that before, Gary. How have you seen others create a more sustained approach for top teams in these challenging times? I think there are two things to consider. The first is the operational setup for handling uh, a long-term issue. We've discussed before the tendency for CEOs to take on too much when it comes to crisis response, and especially if the situation is prolonged, uh, and so leave themselves at risk of burnout. I thought Joanne had a very smart approach to tackling the issue. Uh, She had clear processes set up. Very importantly, she had set working groups with distinct areas of responsibility feeding up to her. And then she had open lines of communications, both with those groups and with the wider workforce. I think the second thing that she touched on as well is actually taking the time to embed well-being into the top team and into the organization proactively rather than seeing it as a reaction to burnout, and then demonstrating that from the top of the organization, as I think Joanne did well. Uh, And then finally, of course, uh, I think what struck me was when she said, um, we all need to to cut ourselves some slack. Uh, And I think after the last 18 months, that's something that's resonating with everybody at the moment. Karen? Yeah, I think like most frontline healthcare organizations, VON and their employees, they've been through a lot. Um, And it's been a real demanding couple of years. And as an organization, they've had some real tragedies to deal with. And I've been really impressed with the resilience of the leadership team and of the employees on the front lines. And despite the challenges that they face, VON has worked very hard to show appreciation for their employees. Um, We work together on an appreciation campaign called VON Cares to really create visible opportunities for those employees, the clients, and the community to recognize employees for their efforts to deliver care. 
And it was a social media campaign created to create profile of behind the scenes efforts of what employees and volunteers were doing during the pandemic. And it really gave an opportunity for the community to show their support and care and appreciation for all of the work that they were doing. So in addition to the self-care, recognition and appreciation was also um, a really important part of how they managed through the pandemic. And it was so inspirational to see um, the example of care and love for VON and the work that they do. That's a great point, Karen. Thank you. Now, I'm sure our listeners will have taken something away from what Joanne has told us uh, on this podcast. I was super impressed by her clarity. We all know how important clear and concise communications are in leadership terms. And Joanne seems to have a superpower for that. Uh, Good leaders always get that clarity is more important than control in tough times, setting objectives and the strategy to achieve success, whatever that is, uh, but providing enough room for their top team to allow things to happen, to get on with the job. Now, it's easy to say that, but it's far from standard practice in a crisis room, as we all know, where some leaders often seek to over-control things and sometimes get in the way. Joanne is clearly not one of those people. And that's why she's been able to lead her organization through repeated challenges in an incredibly effective manner. Right, we're going to end the there today. Uh, until next time, thank you for listening to White Swan, the crisis podcast. Stay safe. White Swan is brought to you by Hanover Communications and its global crisis network. To find out more, please visit hanovercoms.com. That's Hanover, H-A-N-O-V-E-R, comms, C-O-M-M-S dot com.